live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So big news this morning out of Southern Oregon, of all places. I did not know where Aaron was going to go into his darkness retreat. Now we know, Southern Oregon. Reportedly, he has emerged from the darkness. Aaron Rodgers is back in the light. At least that's according to the owner of Sky Cave Retreats in Ashland, Oregon. That apparently is where Aaron has been holed up, literally. Now, I don't know if somebody was tipped off as to his whereabouts. I don't know if Aaron signed off on that. I just find it pretty interesting that we know where it is and that we know who the owner of that place is. I'm not sure Aaron wanted it like that. Maybe he did. Maybe he didn't. But that's essentially my gist of this take. We don't know. And I'm not going to speculate. Here is what we do know, at least according to the report. Aaron was scheduled for four days and nights. Apparently, he went in and he came out. Presumably, he stayed the entire time, but I even can't confirm that because I don't know when he went in. Only that reportedly, he's now out. Also, reportedly, what he went into was a reported 300-square-foot room, partially underground, presumably to limit the light. It had a queen bed. It had a meditation mat. And I'm not sure whether or not it had that toilet in the middle of the room that they said it would when it started. I don't know if it came with, you know, a sparklets bottle that he could urinate into or an actual toilet. I don't know. All this report said was it's 300 square feet, partially underground, a queen bed and a meditation mat. I don't know if it comes with housekeeping and turn down service or not. Apparently, food was delivered through a door twice a day, and I'm not sure what kind of food that was. And there was a light switch, like a safety light switch, in the event that he needed the light. But 300 square feet, as you might imagine, it's not that big. I mean, that's like the size of a one-car garage or a radio studio. You know, like this radio studio. This radio studio where I'm currently sitting in the darkness as we speak. You just can't tell because I'm not on TV today. So it seemed like a very good time for me to go back in for my own retreat. So Aaron is out, but not me. I went in on Friday, in fact. I did come out. And then this morning I thought, you know what? I need more clarity. I need more time to look inward. I need more reflection. I need more introspection. Let me decode that for you all. I need more space from you clones. So maybe I'll just make this a one-day darkness retreat. I'll do the show, then I'll chill right here in the darkness, especially now that the AC is fixed. I'm good. I'm fine. Maybe I won't come out of the dark tomorrow. You'll have to tune in to find out. According to reports, though, Aaron is out. Aaron is into the light. At this point, that's all we know. I want to be very clear about that. This is where I'm going with this. At this point, this is all we know. I know he went in looking to get some clarity, not just on whether or not he wants to play, and if he does want to play, where he wants to play. Does he want to be in Green Bay? Does he want to go someplace else? I don't know any of that. He wanted to go in, though, not only to figure that out, but to figure out what to do with the rest of his life. Point being, I have no idea how he emerged, only that he reportedly did emerge. I don't know if he found any of the answers that he was looking for. I don't know if he came out any more enlightened than when he went in. I just know this. I don't have a problem with him doing it. Almost everybody else seems to, but I don't. Again, different dude, different process, different approach. Head and heart are everything. And in that business, it seems to me, you're either all in or you're all out and there is no in between. And I don't buy that if you don't know, then you already have your answer. I don't agree with that. Everybody keeps saying that. I don't agree with that. That's why he went into the cave to get the answers.
Listen, this guy could just show up, cash checks, play like crap, steal the money, destroy the team, and ding his legacy. He doesn't want to do that. He wants to make sure his head is right so he can play at his highest level possible. And if it's not, then he has his answer. It was only four days. Four critical days. Now, if Aaron drags this thing out, and then if he decides, you know what? I need another four days. Four days was not enough. I've thought about it. I've thought about it. I'm going back in. And if he's holding everybody hostage as the first domino, that's different. But it hasn't come to that. Not yet. So I'm not going to kill this guy for doing what he did because doing what this guy does has made him one of the best ever to do what he does. I'm just going to wait to hear what it was like, where his head is at, and what he has decided. Just don't make us wait too long, Aaron. I respect your process, but it does affect a lot of other people. So no, I'm not going to speculate. I'm just going to wait to hear it from the dude himself. Just don't make us wait too long, big dude. Let us know. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though, see terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. We are joined by Tom Izzo. Tom, it's so good to have you on. How are you? I'm good, Jim. It's good to be back on. How you doing, buddy? Good, Tom, good. In fact, I want to rephrase that, Tom. I want to say, let me just step back for a minute. Hard to imagine, but you and I have been having these conversations <laughs> for the better part of a quarter of a century, Tom, yeah, or yeah. more, or more. And yeah. whenever we have these conversations, I always start off by saying, how you doing? And when I do that, I'm really sort of checking in, and I always mean it, but never more so than right now. So I want to ask you again, how are you? How is your team? How is the Michigan State community? Well, that's kind of, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's good. I mean, it's, uh, it's in the healing process. I think everybody is, and you go through something like this and it's hard to say how everybody is, you know, cause everybody, uh, grieves differently. Everybody, uh, uh, you know, goes through, uh, uh, trauma differently. That's the one thing I've learned from our medical people, Jim, is, you know, there is no cookie cutter answer here. And, you know, even now, you know, we just came up, uh, you know, it happens, and four days later, we play our rival, Michigan. And then a couple of days later, we play our first home game against Indiana, ranked team. And and now, you know, there's a little time in between, and we go to Iowa, you know, and the biggest concern I have is, you know, is there a letdown? And then, the, in other words, emotionally, are we uh, drained? Are we, uh, you know, are you get, you know, re-excited to play? I mean, <clears throat> where are you is, uh, is a million-dollar question, but... The one you asked me is, uh, you know what? We're healing uh, as best we can here, the people. And uh, for me, I'm uh, I'm good. You know, it's been a um, just an incredibly uh, tough time, but one that, uh, as usually does, it's bonded a lot of people together. Talking to Tom Izzo, Michigan State head coach. In fact, that was one of your messages, Tom, after that horrific incident. You were once again one of the people leading from the front. Once again, you had so many others look to you, lean on you. I thought that you shouldered that beautifully. You spoke on that on-campus vigil where you encouraged the students to do what you just said. Come together. Be together. Be open with your feelings. Allow yourselves to grieve. I'm curious, Tom, what were your emotions as you spoke that night? Well, Jim, it was an incredible setting. Uh, I couldn't believe the people that came, students and community people and and everybody together and you know we've just been through COVID as we all know and you know in COVID everybody kind of went their separate ways and stayed in their cubby holes because you couldn't get out and and you know I worried because then when it's time to go back to work people weren't going back to work and and I was worried about the same thing you know and I just said hey I kind of a united front you know we need each other and I, I really believe that uh you can bond together, you know, everybody handles it differently and maybe you can help somebody handle it 
that isn't handling it as well and vice versa, you know? So, yeah, I, I'm always big on people sticking together and doing things together and, uh, you know, what is it? United we stand, divided we fall. I kind of believe in that myself. Talking to Tom Izzo, Tom, one thought about the school itself. I mean, program aside, this, this is a university that is so prominent and means so much to so many people. I'm curious. I mean, you've spent a lifetime there. What does the university mean to you, and what's it mean to you to be a Spartan? You know, Jim, I, I said when you've been somewhere, I talked to Mike Krzyzewski about it, and I talked to you know, Jim Beheim. I mean, there's not a lot of us that have been at a place. I mean, I'm 28 years as a head coach, but it's my 40th year here as a mm-hmm. GA on up. And uh, when you do that, um, you have ownership, you know. I think we're in a transit uh, country right now. Everything, you know, transfers and transit and moving jobs. And, um, you know, this place for me is home. You know, I got married here, raised my kids here. My kids went to school here. One still does. Um, so, uh, you know, I said some people like what they do. And some people love what they do. And some people live what they do. It's the three L's. And I uh, I live what I do here. You know, it's uh, it means the world to me. I've had opportunities to leave, as you know, and, it's just a place for me. So, uh, it, it, of course, uh, of course it hits home a little harder, but at the same time, it's, uh, that's why I was honored to be part of the group that maybe helps, uh, lead us forward too. Talking to Michigan state basketball coach, Tom Izzo, you know, Tom mentioned, you mentioned Michigan and that was very emotional that the huge win over Indiana I'll get to, but I want to ask you this because I know you and I know without being there, you would never ask anyone to do anything that they were not comfortable with, especially in the aftermath of something so horrific. It's got to be such a tough call to know when to go back, right? You want to do the right thing. You certainly do not want to do the wrong thing. Did any of the players express any reservations about playing to anybody say, Coach, I'm just not ready yet? What were those conversations like? Well, we had those conversations immediately, Jim, and I think that's the one thing that, uh, you know, with the psychologists and psychiatrists and all the different medical people, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, Monday night it happened. By Tuesday morning, we were on a Zoom call and, and talking to a bunch of different people. I thought our university did an incredible job of educating the coaches, which then we helped educate the players. We couldn't even meet or practice that day. We weren't allowed on campus, more or less. And um, So by the next <coughs> morning, I, I, I actually I had a meeting that day, Tuesday, at my house. I brought my team over, and I talked to them about all those things. And I, and I kind of was up front with them. I told them, you know, what you feel like doing, don't feel like doing. I told them why I think it's important we get back on a horse. I use examples from 9-11, you know, when I uh, – when uh, my buddy Mariucci was coaching the 49ers, uh, they played on a Thursday night game. It was the first game of the NFL season uh, after 9-11. You know, remember, they canceled that first week. And, uh, and it was in New York City. And I flew out to the game, was on the field, and it was the most incredible. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget it all the days of my life. And uh, I said it, it drew everybody together there, the police, the firemen, the community, the, you know, everybody. And I, I said, we could have a chance to do some of that. And, and yet, uh, I understand if you don't feel like that. So we hit it on the front end, which I thought was really good. And that was the advice I was given. And it, it made it so I think everybody wanted to play, but I can't say that when we got there, you know, the emotions were such that, um, it was different, but, uh, we got through it and, I think that's what you got to do, Jim. You got to teach people how to handle adversity and tragedy because, unfortunately, there are more of that in our country today. We're talking to Tom Izzo. There absolutely are. And I would say to you, it's bigger than you, it's bigger than me. But, I mean, th- there is more of that in this country right now, Tom. So, what now? Where do we go from here? Do we just wait to see when and where this happens again because it will? Where do we go? What do we do now? Well, you know, I mean, everybody argues the gun laws and this and that. You know, where I'm from, everybody hunts. And <clears throat> I'm not against all that. I'm, what I'm against is uh, is no accountability, you know, no accountability to how we get weapons, no accountability to what happens when, you know, the kid here uh, had an incident two years earlier, you know. Uh, I, I think there's an accountability problem in our country, and uh, and that maybe more than anything is, 
is the problem. You know, there there doesn't seem to be a lot of ramifications to, to issues, and and then I think we do got to do a better job on the mental health issues um, because there are more of them, and yet some of the reasons there's more of them is we never learn how to handle adversity. So, you know, I mean, I got no answers. I just got my own suggestions or my own thoughts. And those would be some of my thoughts. You bet. Tom Izzo joining me for a few more moments. So you talked about the emotion of it all. Tom, I'm curious about Tuesday night. Spartans upset number 17, Indiana. It's in front of 15,000 fans at Breslin Center. After the game, you obviously were overcome with emotion, understandably. I mean, you've been a part of some of the biggest wins, some of the biggest games of this entire generation. Have you ever been a part of an evening quite like Tuesday night? You know, boy, that's a very good question. Um, you know, because when you've been in a Final Four and you've won a national championship and you have your games with your rival Michigan or over the years, Wisconsin, Illinois, Duke, and Kentucky, and, you know, it seems like you've played in all these big games, and I would say no. I've never been in a situation where I, I wasn't sure about my team. I wasn't sure about, you know, how does Indiana handle it? Mike Woodson did an unbelievable job. Uh, they, they wore some shirts. They did some things. They... They withstood a little extra time that we spent honoring uh, the three that, uh, you know, victims that died and the five that are in the hospital. And uh, so I take my hat off to Indiana and Mike Woodson, too. But um, never, you know, and we got off to a slow start. And then when we started gaining momentum, it was like uh, we were all together, you know, all 15,000 people, all players. And it was uh, one of those nights that... uh, probably till the end of time for me, I'll I'll never forget. Hmm. One last thought, Tom. You mentioned your team, so let me ask you this. I'm curious, what was the team's why prior to this tragedy, and how has it changed as a result? For instance, what is this particular group playing for specifically now as we head towards March? Boy, well, you're one of my favorites because you ask a lot of good questions. You're one of my favorites too, Coach. Well, I appreciate it, but one of my speeches to my team before the Michigan game was, you know, uh, the why is very important, you know. The why has become a very selfish why, you know. It seems like there's more whys that are all about me. And uh, this why is is about us, and it's about more than just our team. It was about our community. It was about our students. And so I think moving forward, the team understands now that the why is uh, you're playing for more than just yourself. And um, and I think, uh, you know, everybody would be better off if the why was about, you know, the brother and sister next to you and the people next to you and the people with you. And we all kind of got in this thing together, and maybe that'd be a way to combat some of these problems. So uh love the question. The why is, uh, is a million dollars. It's a million-dollar answer that I can't totally give, but... My version of it is uh, why it's got to be because of a lot of things, not because of just individual things. And I love the answer. He is the head basketball coach, Michigan State. They're going to take on Iowa on Saturday. It's been a horrific time there, but they've got a great, great leader in Tom Izzo. Tom, I appreciate you. I really did want to check in. I'm so glad you made time for that. I know a lot of people listening certainly benefited from that. Much love and respect to you, and I appreciate everything we've always, all of our conversations, and it's so good to have you on, Tom. Thanks so much. Well, I appreciate you, Jim. Stay in touch, and let's make sure we uh, we don't lose touch. I, I really appreciate never. you, too. Yeah, Thanks, that'll never Jim. happen. You got Tom Izzo, right. head coach Michigan State. I'm so glad he did that. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. So Beeks obviously is very unhappy. Was that a run at the new guy? Or was that a run at you? Who was he talking about? It was a run at Jack, even though he talked to me on the phone when he called here. But he thought he talked to Jack, so he ran to Twitter and started yelling at Jack. How you like that, new guy? Caught a stray. He's since figured it out, but now he's yelling at a parody account of me and not actually me on Twitter. <laughs> Getting closer, though. Wow. All right.
Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Chalk. So, Beeks, you're, you're screaming at the new guy when you talk to the old guy, and then you took to Twitter to take a run at the old guy, but you're actually taking a run at a faux Twitter account. And you're taking credit for me talking to Adam Carolla back in the day over work that you and he did. Bro, I don't think that's true. Maybe I, quote, misremembered, but I could have swore that when I spoke to Adam Carolla back in the day, it's because I had a relationship with Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla when they were on The Man Show. And they actually co-hosted this show back in the day. They guest hosted it. And they came on my TV shows. Beeks, I had no idea that you were the reason I knew Adam Carolla. I thought that I was the reason I knew Adam Carolla. Bro. Bro. We're not saying you can't be on. I'm saying that berating my staff is not the way to get on. Trying to bully your way on is not going to work, dude. I'm even all right with you taking credit for me having a relationship with Adam Carolla, even though I have no knowledge of that whatsoever. But dude, get off my staff. They're just doing their job. It's never personal. This is the greatest irony of all ironies. Listen to what I'm about to say, and this is not directed only at Beaks. It is, but not exclusively. It's never personal with us. A lot of you get personal with us, and you make it personal, and you get personal, and you get dirty, and you get nasty, and you hit below the belt. I've had this talk, I had this talk with Jack Savage, fake name. No, I had this talk with Jack like I do every single one of our employees. Yo, part of what you're signing up for is this, the clones, the culture, the JTP. There are peeps. We're nothing without them, but they step out of line. They do. So I've got to check them. However, they check us. Sometimes justly, sometimes unjustly. But I want to be so clear about this, clones. We don't have personal agendas against you. We do what's best for the program or what we think is best for the program because it's always about the program. So, Beeks, my dude, if you're going to make it better, you will get on the air. But don't berate my crew. Don't bully the crew. Don't go in on the crew. Yeah, but yo, Rome, your producer hates me and disrespected me. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't know you, dude. And what, what, why would he hate you? Based on what? This is not the way to get on the air. By talking junk to my crew, about my crew, and trying to bully your way in. Yeah, but Rome, Tom clearly is inadequate and intimidated by me, and that's why he won't let me on. I don't know, dude. I'll tell you something else. Do you really want to bully a dude named Jack Savage? I mean, I don't know. Jack looks like he can handle himself, but I don't think that his old man would have named him Jack Savage if he was a punk and somebody that you could take advantage of. He's Jack Savage. Is that the dude you want to try to intimidate? Or boy? He's Jack Savage. Jesus Christ, it's Jack Savage! Damn, Rum, did you hire that guy for his name? Yes. I just found out that he could do other things too. It's amazing. Are you kidding? I've gotten more mileage out of this guy's name in two days than I had out of some former XR4TRs in 10 years. And the guy didn't have to even lift a finger. All he had to do was show up with that name. And he's already made more contributions to content than some other former employees that I had for 10 years. Go figure. Are you kidding me? In two days? <laughs> Within 10 days, he'll be the host of the show. And I'll be sitting back there with a black, orange knit cap. It's incredible. Stucknut, do I need to scratch out Dick Flower's name? And give all the smack-off wins to Beaks now? Apparently, dude. 
Apparently because I wouldn't know Adam Carolla if not for Beeks. Dude, I had no idea you made that introduction, Beeks. I'm sorry. I don't remember. I mean, I must have been there. You know who the hell I am? I don't know, dude. You are clueless, Chief. You got the wrong Chief, though, dude. <laughs> I don't know what's funnier. That he confused Chalk with Jack, or that when he took to Twitter to go in on Chalk, he got hooked by a fake Chalk account. Dude, you're tweeting at a fake Chalk account. Man, this freaking show. Imagine me trying to explain this show to any newcomer or anybody at all. So there's this guy, Beeks, and there's my producer, Chalk, and then there's Jack Savage. And then I got an engineer who's an absolute genius, but he's addicted to sex, and he keeps having kids, and he's gone for nine weeks every time it happens. Then I got another guy with a gigantic head who runs cattle and has a car wash, and he wants to build a dog wash into the car wash. Welcome to my world. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? Ricky Stenhouse Jr. is my guest. Ricky, it's great to have you on. How are you? Jim, I'm great. How are you? Good, dude. Good. It's great to have you on. So Yeah, thank you. I, pre- I, I wish you would. Uh, I was looking at the weather. I wish you'd change the weather for us when we come out there this weekend. Yeah, right. How about that? That's a little unusual. Hopefully, it's better by Sunday. <laughs> right now, though, it's, uh, let's tell my guys, man, it's pissing. It's, uh, it's raining pretty hard right about now. All right, let me ask you. I, I get, Ricky, that you won last Sunday, and I get that it's now Thursday, and you got a big one coming up this weekend here in Cali, but we are talking about the Daytona 500. Have you fully wrapped your head around the fact that you're a Daytona 500 champion? Has it completely sunk in yet? Uh, it's sinking in, and I think the, the biggest reason why is we're out you know, doing media and promoting uh, you know, our Daytona 500 win, you know, promoting the, the 75th year of NASCAR. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of good things going on, and uh, it's cool that, uh, that I'm the one getting to go out and do that. And, you know, carrying the trophy and, and the ring around definitely, definitely helps it sink in. But uh, an amazing, amazing race for us and our small team. Single-card team, you know, just out there competing and, uh, you know, getting it done. It was it was a huge win for us. Now, you nailed it. I love it. I love that you got the win, and I love that you got the win for the team, and we'll talk about that. In fact, your owner, Tad Geshticker, told his wife, Jody, the morning of the race, that he thought you were going to win, and that's despite the fact, Ricky, that you had gone 199 straight races without winning. Did he share those same feelings with you as well before the race? Did the two of you talk about that? Uh, we didn't. Uh, you know, it was weird. You know, for me, I woke up, Sunday morning, actually, you know, feeling uh, different, I guess, than normal. And, you know, there was a lot of chaos going around at the track. I mean, there was not a camping spot left in the infield. The grandstands were sold out. You know, this was the eighth straight sellout for the Daytona 500. Kind of chaos, a a lot of energy. But, like, I felt like everything was super quiet around us, Uh, you know, even uh, on pit road, during the national anthem, during flyovers. Uh, I felt good about it. I felt confident uh, in what you know me and my team were uh, going to be able to do. And um, when it all came down to it, we we got it done. And uh, there was a few people talking uh, around our team that kind of had that same feeling. It was it was kind of weird. It was pretty cool. That is really kind of weird and pretty cool. The thing about it is too, like there might have been chaos and this energy, this frenetic energy everywhere else, and you felt a sense of calm. But then you get on the track, man. It was a wild, wild finish. Oh, yeah. Sunday's race, Ricky, was the longest in the 65-year history of the Daytona. It included two overtimes and a record 212 laps. Some viewers were actually confused who actually won the race when you edged Joey Logano because of that crash on the last lap. I mean, did you yourself even know immediately that you had won? Uh, I felt like, yes, immediately when the caution came out, 
you know, I saw them spinning behind me uh, in my mirror. And then when I saw the caution light turn on, I felt like I was ahead uh, of Logano. And then, you know, I'm going around the last kind of lap and, you know, waiting just for confirmation. Uh, and, yeah, sure enough, we, we were ahead. I thought it was not as close as what it was when I went back and looked at the video. When I went back and looked, I was like, oh, dang, that was a lot closer than I thought it was. So, um, you know, luckily there was a little bit more time, uh, you know, for us to get back in front of the 22. You know, we were kind of just battling for the lead there, uh, you know, leading the last few laps and uh, just trying to hold everybody off. I had, you know, Cup champion Logano, uh, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, all these Cup champions behind me and, uh, you know, just was, just was trying to play defense. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. joining us, so you did it, right? You've got some of the monsters of the game that you're trying to hold off. You finish, you get it done, you're a day 2500 champ, and then everybody's like, where are these celebratory burnouts on the track? Everybody was looking for that after the win. Why did you not do that for those who don't know? Well, uh, as you mentioned, it was the longest Daytona 500 mileage-wise in history. Uh, we ran extra laps with double overtime, and I was out of gas. Uh, I had just literally, enough dude, gas literally, to literally, win, and I wanted to do a burnout so bad at the biggest race of my career, the biggest race of the season, our Super Bowl, and I had no gas to do a burnout. So uh, when I got out, I climbed the fence and uh, did a few pull-ups at the top of the fence just to give the crowd something to cheer for, uh, other than other than just the win. Dude, that's incredible. Literally not enough gas to do a burnout. You know, you mentioned JTG and what it's like. You know, this obviously is not as big as some of the monsters that you're running against every single week. There's maybe 40 employees on the shop floor, but there's a lot to like about that team. There's a lot to like about the owners. What did you think of JTG prior to signing with them in 2020, especially coming from a bigger team? What did you like about this opportunity? Yeah, so, I mean, first off, I was very thankful that um, you know, Gordon, Tad, Jody, and Brad, you know, believed in me that, you know, they felt like I could, um, you know, up the game at, at their race team. And, uh, so I didn't know a whole lot about, um, you know, the race team. I'd been with one race team for, uh, my whole career and, and didn't really think about going anywhere else. But, uh, when everything kind of got sorted out, I found myself at GTG Doherty Racing. And when I walked in the shop, I was like, Man, this is a this is a small team, but you know, this being a small team, they have a lot of nice stuff. I feel like these people are um, you know really intelligent, hardworking, uh, talented guys, and um, you know, so I was I was pumped as soon as I got there. We we won the poll for the Daytona 500 by my very first race for them uh, in 2020, which was uh, you know super cool as well, and uh, we finally got a win, and you know. It it is huge for all of us at this race team. Um, you know, it's Brad Doherty, you know, the first uh, minority owner to to win the Daytona 500. Uh, Brad Brad's history in this sport goes deep. His roots run deep in NASCAR, uh, so it was cool to get him. Uh, you know, the, the historic Daytona 500 victory. I think that's so awesome. I think, and again, I want to be very clear, for those who don't follow the sport closely, we're talking about a one-car team, and it's really unusual, and one car means one driver, and they've been very loyal to you. You've been very loyal to them. You've all stuck together. And even though you just touched on this, what does it mean to not only win the Daytona 500, because that puts you in a very exclusive fraternity, but to win it for this group specifically? Yeah, I was. you know, we've been doing a lot of, you know, media tours running around Chicago, Disney. I'm in New York City right now. Uh, but yesterday I got to spend time at the race shop. And, you know, like you said, I think there's you know around 40 employees in our shop and by far probably the, the smallest uh, employee numbers uh, you see in the garage as far as competitive race cars go. Uh, and, I mean, there's some guys at our race team that, had never won a race in, in 30 years of, of being in the sport. And uh, that was so cool to, to be able to bring that to them. You know, Tad and Jody have been at this game for, you know, 29-plus years. And, you know, they've got a cup win. But, man, there's nothing bigger than the Daytona 500 uh, for myself or, or, or for a race team. So it, uh, it was historic. It, it's, it's a milestone in our career that kind of elevates our game. Um, you know, our, our 
corporate partners, uh, the Kroger Company, they have been at this game for a long time. They support racing. They've been supporting JTG Doherty Racing for a long time. And uh, you could tell how important this win was to our, our partners as well. See, that's the thing. When you've been at it as long as you have and you never, ever quit and you always give in and the owners, they're good, too. They're not afraid to spend the money. They're committed to it. To finally see it pay off the way it did like that is so awesome for everybody. Nobody could ever take that from you. You will always be a Daytona 500 champion. You always have that. Let me finally ask you. Sorry about the weather. You mentioned that. You've got another race Sunday in Fontana. It is the final year, Ricky, that this race is going to be run on its current two-mile oval. You've got renovations coming to the track, and that's going to take it off the Cup Series schedule next year. So, in effect, it's the end of an era for now. How much have you enjoyed running in Southern California throughout your career? Man, you, you're not kidding. I, I love the Fontana uh, Auto Club Speedway. It It is such a fun racetrack. I, I've enjoyed it ever since. Uh, my first race there back in 2010, and uh, it's a bummer that they're that they're reconfiguring it. But you know that land's valuable around there, so make the land make the racetrack a little smaller, and uh, I guess do some other stuff with the other land around there. But um, you know it's part of it. Uh, you know NASCAR's been switching up our schedule a lot. It's uh, it'll be a bummer to to be out of Southern California, you know, at least for a year uh, while they get the renovations done and, and reconfigure, but. Uh, we're looking forward to getting there this weekend. Uh, hopefully, uh, like you said, the weather shakes out a little bit better on Sunday. Uh, I know the rain is much needed out there, so we can't complain too much about that. Trying to fill up those reservoirs will be a, a good thing, but uh, it's not a good thing for NASCAR. No, you're right. You nailed that. One last thought. We're talking about the sport overall. What about the car, the next-gen car? Do you feel like that's leveled the playing field and maybe given some of the smaller teams a better shot at competing with some of the giants in the game? I do feel like it's it's leveled it. Um, you know, it's definitely nice knowing that, you know, you look at the other powerhouse teams and, and knowing that their chassis and, and their parts and pieces are the same as mine. Now, we still have to be able to put those things together the right way. It's like a puzzle, you know, trying to hit the right setup. Uh, and the more resources you have, the better uh, educated guess you can, you can take it, uh, putting that puzzle together. But, you know, for us, yeah, we learned a little bit slower than everybody did last year because we were a single-car team. We only had, you know, one kind of sample uh, set up every weekend uh, on that given weekend. And, um, you know, but we got a better relationship this year with uh, Chevrolet and uh, uh, Hendrick Motorsports. So I think that's going to prove for us to be very beneficial going down the road of, of being more consistent and contending for more race wins this year. He is the driver of the number 47 car for JTG Doherty Racing. He is a Daytona 500 champ. And again, this week's stop, the Palace Casino 400 in Fontana. It is Sunday here in Cowie, 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., my guest. Ricky, great job. Congrats to you. Great to have you on the show. Good luck this weekend. I really appreciate that. Thank you. Sounds good. We're looking forward to being in California. And uh, hopefully if we keep winning, we can keep talking to you. Love to have you, dude. Good luck. Keep it up. Appreciate it. All right. This message is sponsored by Discover. Did you know that you could reduce the number of unwanted calls and emails with online privacy protection? The latest innovation from Discover. Discover will help routinely remove your personal info, like your name and address, from 10 popular people search websites that could sell your data, and they will do it for free. Activate in the Discover app. See terms and learn more at discover.com slash Online privacy protection. Let's start with the written beefs. Count Smacula. My beef is with the guy who does complex transactions at the ATM. Bro, have some consideration for the mile-long line of cars behind you before you go applying for a second mortgage and paying off your student loans. Get your cash. Get your ass down the road. Derek in Des Moines. Good start. Say set the tone. Jim. My beef is with the person who responds to a question that requires a simple yes or no answer with, I'm good. Do you want a beer? I'm good. Do you want something to eat? I'm good. I didn't ask, how are you? I asked if you wanted something. Yes or no is the appropriate response. Whether you're good or not has nothing to do with it. Brian in Detroit. I don't know why I think that's funny, but that made me laugh. Dear Jim, my beef is with coworkers flooding me with 100-plus emails every day, especially those who use 
reply to all to respond to one person on a distribution of 15 or even worse to say thank you. Get a grip, people. We're selling services and commodities, not solving world hunger. Get a grip. Charles in Houston. Dude, I feel you. Reply all can be the worst thing. Especially when we don't all need to know that. Jim, my beef is with people who go to the movies by themselves. They brag about going to the movies alone. Hey, creep. Find a friend and get away from me. Creep. Sign Q from The View. War Lady Clones. War Lady Clones. I mean, Q, maybe they have nobody to go with. Obviously, right? They must be bothering her. Boosh in Maine. Jimbo. My beef is with people who think that reclining your seat on an airplane is inconsiderate. You know what's inconsiderate? Flying. Drive next time, you goon. Unwar Wells making spam steak. War fake silk. War frosty Sasquatch. Come on. My hashtag beef is with people who think it's okay to blow their nose at the table at a restaurant. Take that disgusting snot rag out of your pocket, leave it at home because nobody wants to hear you fire snot rockets out your face anytime, let alone while eating. Matt in KC. Jim, my beef is with my lazy college-age kids who seem utterly incapable of throwing out the empty food box from the pantry when they take the last granola bar or finish off the cereal. I get that the garbage can is a whole four steps away, but come on, you little jerks. Do better. The next time I reach for something in the pantry and I come up empty, the Wi-Fi may have to mysteriously drop for the rest of the day. AJ, in northern Wisconsin. I get you, dude. I feel you. Hey, Rome. My beef is with thermostat complainers no names mentioned you and my boss but when you complain that the temperature is two something one day what do you think is going to happen the next day either pack a parka or pack some bacon and toast to go along with that fried egg extreme ownership eric in la Dude, I didn't say it was too high or too low. I said it was broken. But I appreciate you directing me to, quote, extreme ownership. That helped. Jimmy Jim, my beef is with your EP's name. Tom is lame and D. Benedetto is even worse. You need more guys like Jack Savage. Brent and PC. Even Chalk doesn't dispute that. D Cook 406. My beef? My parents. For not naming me Jack Savage. It's Jack Savage. Van Smack. My beef is with the random human dunce caps. They want to chat me up like we're soulmates because we are near each other in public. I have no idea who you are. Stop talking to me. Go make new friends somewhere. Signed Vaughn in Knoxville. Kind of like that one. Like, am I throwing off that that vibe like I want to talk to you? Like I want to be friends with you? Why are you rolling up on me like that? Who do I look like? Dodger Jano? We walked into the game the other day. Dodger Jano stops on the enemy side. She's just yapping up all the other parents. I'm like, how do you know those people? And they're the enemy. Why are you talking to them? Dodger Jano knows everybody, and everybody knows Dodger Jano. Like, she'd have no issue at all if you rolled up on her. Every time we meet somebody new, I always tell that person, just so you know, disclaimer, you're going to get 20 questions. She's going to ask you 20 things because she wants to know, because she's interested. Somebody must have told my beloved wife, Dodger Jano, 
to be interesting, be interested. I don't even think she wants to be interesting. She just is. But she is definitely interested. Me, not so much. I don't need to worry about getting a question in edgewise. One, I'm not interested. And two, she's got them all. Buster. Hey, Tan Smack. What's good, my dude? My beef is with people who do more to get out of work than to do the actual job itself. Stay the hell home, please. Hashtag war. A Cavs title run. You know what, dude? They're at huge value right now. If you want to bet them, if you believe in them, you're going to get paid. They're a big number. Brian and San Pedro's in. I got a beef with you, Rome. Not acknowledging Beaks in your Radio Hall of Fame speech. If it wasn't for him, you wouldn't be here. Maybe. Because apparently if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't know Adam Carolla. Hi, Jim. You want to know what my beef is? My beef is that this is the second Thursday in a row without a Jim Rome's Big Head Bets podcast. I can't do this on my own. Bella B in Calgary. They're all buttholes out there. They really are. I mean, I feel you, Bella. I, I really do, but I can't. I don't know. I, I don't really know how to respond to that, believe it or not. I know you need us, but you need us more than I need to do that podcast today. Does that make sense? Maybe you can work something out with James Kelly. Maybe, like, you can be a sub. Like, you pay him nine bucks a month, he gives you picks. I don't know. Maybe you guys can do Bella. I got an idea. Maybe you guys can do a pod of your own together. Maybe you can do Bella's Big Head Butthole Blast podcast. Butthole. 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 She loves the big head, man. She loves James Kelly. I think when it comes to me, she's like, ah, he's aight. She loves James Kelly. Let's go to the phones. You can also keep hitting me up on Twitter and email. Let's start in St. Paul. Nick, good to have you, Nick. What's your beef? Meg, my beef is with my neighbors going on vacation during a friggin' snowstorm and then having the seeds to ask me to clear the snow for them, only to follow it up with selfies saying, wish you were here. I hope you get third-degree sunburns, you selfish, self-absorbed asshats. Late? Late? That's rough. You know, we probably don't need the phrase asshat on the show. However, if we were, it would apply to that. A neighbor going on vacation and asking their neighbor to shovel their snow or clear their driveway and then sending them selfies on the beach saying, wish you were here. Yeah, but then how would the driveway get shoveled? You don't wish they were there. You're glad they're at home. So they can do your work for you. Let's go to John in Philly. What's up, dude? What's your beef? Jim, I know you don't do well with bullies, and obviously you sit online here waiting to get in, and oh my goodness, Beaks is a moron. Respects the two-way street, buddy. Jim, my beef is with the suits at CBS. They're riding your gravy train. Meanwhile, a purse for the smack-off hasn't even kept in step with inflation. So don't tell me they can't bump that up. Five grand won't even get my buddy's McLaren details, and uh, let's add a zero to the end of that number. Stop sucking the life out of this goose that lays the golden egg for you. And, hey, Beaks, I've been on five times in less than two weeks, and I bet what you had to say was better than what I had to say. I'm out. Interesting. Beaks, do you hear what he just said? I've been on five times in less than two weeks, and I bet what you had to say is better than what I had to say. In other words, don't berate the crew. There's a right way and a wrong way, and John keeps getting on, so he must be doing it the right way. Even if what you have to say, Beeks, is better than what he had to say, and he admitted it. You know, listen, you can take your run or whoever you want, but 
Don't crack on the suits for only offering five grand. Five grand is five grand. Five grand is five grand. Add a zero to it? What, 50 grand for winning the smack off? If that's the case, I'm going to enter it myself. Five grand's five grand, yo. Do you know what you used to get for winning that thing? Sunflower seeds. Now, five grand is still a really nice purse. And it's not just, it's not just the suits. We have sponsors to put up the money. I'll tell you what, for a couple of years, I wrote the check. Because that's how important it is to me. Let's go to Pomona. That's here in Cali. Anthony and Pomona. Anthony, what's your beef? Hey, Jimmy. My beef is with my phone company for dropping my call while I'm on hold for over an hour for the beef segment. Now, I always have time to wait for the beef segment, but it's not a big deal. But now when I call back, I'm told that there's multiple calls with the same topic. So now i got to spring up and get a new topic right away. And it's my phone company for dropping my phone. Jim, I pay for Verizon, not Boost, okay? War, Westbrook infecting a new locker room because you always wonder why the hot chick is crazy. And War, Kelly Clarkson. What, dude? Who who else wanted to say that? You said, I got a beef with my phone company for my call dropping, and then I call back and I'm told, we already have that beef. Nobody else was warring Kelly Clarkson, except for Matt in L.A. You do have a point, though. If your company is Verizon, he just said, how can that drop, man? I'm paying for Verizon, not Boost. Got that boost? How that taste, cricket? I'm a Verizon person too. It it is really good service. But it ain't cheap. Let's go to Ty in Boise. Good to have you, Ty. What's your beef? Hey man, I got a beef about baby on board signs on, on cars. Two things. One, I don't care that you have a baby. Join the club. Everybody has babies. Two it's not going to curb my driving habits around you, so deal with it, Kook. I feel you. If you have to be a certain age, there was a time when every single car had one of those signs. I mean, years and years and years ago, but I'm not kidding you. You could not see a car on the road here in Cali without a baby on board. Who, whoever was the genius who decided to come up with a stupid little suction cup baby on board sign is living on a, an island still to this day making 14% on their money. Yeah, and really, by the way, I hate to say this, he's right. Who's driving around saying, oh, they have a baby. I think I'll change the way I drive. Oh, slow down. They got a baby. Slow down. Oh, by all means, come in my lane. All of a sudden, now you're letting people have the lane in front of you. You're, you're leaving 200 feet or 500 feet or a mile between you and the other. They got a baby. He's right. I was going to park next to you. Hell, I'm not even going to go to the store now. I'm going to keep moving to the next market because you have a baby on board. 1-800. Hey, can I, can I pay for your gas? You have a baby. Hey, can I take care of your insurance? Hey, can I write off what you owe in that check? I'll, I'll write a check right now for your car. Hey, you want my credit card? Hey, do you, do you want my kid? Do you want my kid to be a big brother to your baby? Can I meet that baby? Baby on board. They, they went away for a number of years, but I see them making a comeback. They're making a comeback. I got you. All right, so I feel like this is the beef segment. And I feel like within the show, there are beefs within. I have a feeling this is going to be a reset of a jungle beef. Let's go to Larry, a.k.a. Parody Larry, who I had banned, but I'll bring back for a beef. Lawrence, what is your beef? Hey, Rome, I got a beef with John in Philly, and I'm going to go Jack Savage on his ass. Hey, John in Philadelphia, the last song you did... What was with that accent? I'm driving in my car. You sound like Elmer freaking Fudd. And hey, 
Listen, I saw you at the parade for losers. You slid down a cream cheese pole right into a stale Amoroso's bread with horse crap. And I hear you like it wit. And by the way, I'm not into methylene. I accidentally called her a MILF. I meant cougar. And why would I want to hang out with someone who's got more STDs than National Geographic has issues? I'm out. Even Larry's amazed that I allowed him to finish that call. Larry, did you just say that Kathleen has more STDs than National Geographic has issues? It's not funny and certainly not accurate. How do you know that she has even one? And if she does, how is that your business? I'm starting to think you're like that kindergartner, kin, or excuse me, perform, kindergartner who is acting like they hate their classmate when in fact they're crushing on that classmate. Larry, are you and Kathleen sitting in a tree? K-I-S-S-I-N-G. Methinks you protest too much. I don't know. Why don't we go there and find out and see what she thinks? I know she's going to be riled up. Kathleen, I know that when you get super hyped, you have trouble actually getting out your beef. So I want you to know, Kathleen, I'm coming to you in a second. I want you to be ready. I don't want you to be broadsided by this or blindsided by this, I should say. We go to Omaha. Kathleen in Omaha. Kathleen, what is your beef? I have no STDs. I am not a meth addict. If I was, I would be a skinny ninny. I am 176 with an ass, just like Sydney. So, Larry, go drink a glass of cyanide, you filthy, lying parasite. Ooh. All right. I, I don't think we need to wish death upon each other. Have some, Lair. Larry's walking around going, yeah, he's got his, like, parody Lawrence chest out. And she just came in and said, you filthy, dirty parasite. I'm not a meth addict. If I were, I'd be a skinny mini. I go a buck 76 with a big ass like Sydney. Go drink a big glass of cyanide? Well, everybody just easy. I don't condone that sort of thing. I'm here for your beefs. You can go in on each other, but we don't want to wish death upon anybody. Come on now, that's a line. Well, let's reset. 1-800-636-8686. This guy will make it better. Generally, he does. Normally, I don't see him in this spot, though. Let's go to Paul's dog. Yo, my man. Or check that. My canine, what is your beef? My beef is with Rattling in Romaha. Her voice hurts my ears more than a dog's whistle. Right, Rattling. Johannes may have the voice of an angel, but you have the voice of a fire engine. Can you do us all a favor? Let's stick to emails. Rock him. Like I said, can you imagine just dropping in on this show? How about just dropping in on this show, on this segment? Like, what the hell am I listening to? There's a dog that just called the show. And we wrecked him. Wreck him. Keep calling. We're not done yet. Let me go to the written beefs. And if you want to call, you can. 1-800-636-8686. Let's see here. Hey, Jim. My beef is with the hotel chains, which give you status upgrades into rooms with crappy thermostats that have two settings, the Amazon or the Arctic. Look, Bags, I don't care about the in-room Keurig coffee maker. How about a North County San Diego setting so we can sleep? 
JD in Philly. Oh, dude, I care about that in-room coffee maker. I, I'm with you on the thermostat, but the, the in-room coffee maker is huge. You know, in hotels now, a lot of hotels don't have room service. And you know me, I'm not leaving the room for business. I, I need that Joe in the morning. Romeopathic doctor. My beef is with the neighbor's dog. No one is interested in you barking incessantly at nothing all day. Every day. Shut the hell up. Craig in Idaho. Rome. My beef is with people who dislike the name Tom. It's my name. It's Chalk's name. It's a great name. And it's a whole lot better than whatever D-list porn star tags you and your middle-aged D&D posse have dreamt of since seventh grade. Tom in Virginia. Dude, I don't know that anybody's got a... Well, actually, you're right. Brent did say Tom is lame. And D. Benedetto is even worse. You're right. He did take a shot at you and your name. All right. I was going to try and run this thing down to the bottom. We may or may not get there. Let's go to Wisconsin, the amazing state of Wisconsin. Mark in Wisconsin. Mark, what is your beef? That's not That's not him. All right, we got eight. Hey, Chuck, I know you're flying. He's on line five. You sent me to line two. I pulled him up, and he had no idea. Let's reset it one more, one more time. Let's try it again. There is no line five. 1-800-636-8686. Albie, why don't you? Oh! You're saying, hey, Rome, why don't you just walk off on that? Why are you trying to keep this dead dog alive? They're all ringing. We can't keep up with the volume. I like it. Keep them coming. 1-800-636-8686. We do the beef segment once a week. As you can tell, it's a lot to ask for. It's just a lot, period. We can do it once a week. It's brought to you by Old Trapper. Old Trapper comes in four great flavors. Find the best one for you. They all come in four-ounce bags. Ask for Old Trapper by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper. What is your beef? And remember, I've got Iron Eagle. as episode 256. I've got a reinvention project with Jim Rome podcast, which I'm going to push out tomorrow. Look for that, too. Let's go to NoCal. Ryan. Hey, Ryan, what's your beef? I got a beef with professional athletes that try to make it sound like their sport is more important than it is by saying, uh, I think thankful for the game of basketball or I'm thankful for the game of football. We all know it's a game. It doesn't make it sound fancier. You're a football player. You're a basketball player. I'm out. I don't know, dude. They probably are thankful. They get to play a game for a living, and they make a lot of money, and it's fun. Since when is gratitude a problem? I think what you're confusing is, like, when people talk about the National Football League, like, the importance of that. Like, you know, here, those men who have played in the National Football League, I don't know, maybe even just call it the shield, or maybe not call it anything. We know what it is. But there's some self-important people that have to refer to it as its like own government. The National Football League. I think that's what you meant. More than, I'm grateful for the opportunity to play the game of basketball. Who cares about that? I'm not saying that your beef isn't worthy, but that's what you have to beef about. I am keeping this dead dog alive. Tommy's working hard, man. I wish you could see him beside on the other side of the glass. This dude, somebody take the paddles to Chalk. Chalk, you look disconsolate, dude. You went to Columbia. You know what that word looks like or sounds like or means. Who's on line one? Ed in SA. This is how we close this segment out. Ed, what is your beef? <laughs> hey, Jim. Yeah, my beef. Or people who can't wait to tell other people what they gave up for lint. I mean, 
Jesus walked through the desert for 42 days, and you gave up chocolate and Chardonnay? Way to raise the bar, Fosbury. Way to raise the bar, Fosbury. Thank you very much. And that's what we were looking for. That's what Chalk was working so hard for. My beef is with people talking about what they gave up for Lent. Jesus walked through the desert 40-some-odd days, but you gave up chocolate and Chardonnay. Way to raise the bar, Fosbury. It's a good line. I've never actually heard that. Did you make that up, Ed? Did you rip that from somebody? Way to raise the bar, Fosbury. How many of you have ever actually high jumped? How many of you have ever done it in a competition? How many of you went with the Fosbury flop? I was more of a Dwight Stones guy. But then again, I was not a big Mickey Mouse guy. Way to raise the bar, Fosbury. All right, clones. I think that's it. Let me take one last look. We're done. You're not bad. You got to 28. Not bad at all. Chalk's like, when Chalk says not bad at all, what he's saying is he did a really good job getting there. Hey, Jim, my beef is with the repair guy that was late for his five-hour window to fix my internet only to tell me we will have to come back out with a new blank. Bro, how many parts are actually involved in getting internet into my house? Cable? That little box that sits on my desk. Why in the hell do you think you need to bring wire to fix my crap? Mike and La Quinta. Yeah, but dude, he did give you a five-hour window. And if you're at home working, where are you going to be anyway, Mike? I feel you, dude. I have a response to that, Mike. He doesn't care. Good night!